helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Hello there, everyday Americans, and welcome to the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution, teach the rising generation to be free. You know, much of the news lately seems to revolve around well, the powers the Tenth Amendment says are reserved to the states. From the question of keeping Donald Trump off the ballot to the, the powers of Texas to protect their own people and borders, where state power ends and federal power begins is often in the mix. This balance of power between the state and federal governments is an important check designed to keep the United States from devolving into tyranny. As the federal government has assumed to itself more and more powers not delegated to it by the United States, most of our state governments have merely sat back and washed their hands of their responsibility. Perhaps that is why, when a state does stand up, it seems so foreign to most Americans. But really, should it be foreign for the states to actually exercise their power, for the states to be the overseers of the federal government? See, if you understand the Constitution, I say the answer is no. I, I go back to the, um, the Alien and Sedition Acts and the, the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions, where this, this, the states of Kentucky and Virginia saw their role as overseeing and putting a a break on the um, the excessive use of power by the the central government, what we now call the federal government. And I think it's important that we learn to discuss these things. We discuss them honestly and openly, and then discuss maybe what we can do about it. And I'm going to start with a challenge that was made. To, I, yesterday, I was talking about the Colorado decision. Uh, to the decision of the Colorado Supreme Court to keep Trump off the ballot. And I was challenged in one point. See, they, the question, one of the questions that came up had to deal with, is the president subject to the um, 14th Amendment's disqualification, insurrection disqualification? And my initial reaction is, no, it, it's not. And uh, again, I go in and I looked, and because you know the the article, I'm sorry, Amendment 14, Section 3, says no person shall be a senator or representative of Congress or an elector of president, and vice president, or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under or under any state who have previously taken an oath as a member of the Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress shall be, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. Now, the question that, that, that was made to me that, that I wanted to follow up with had to deal with the, the holding of an office, civil or military. Now, my assumption, this is my starting point, was, well, yeah, the presidency is an, is an office. It's not part of the military. It's, it, it would be a civil office. 
And that was my assumption. Well, someone asked me to challenge to, to, to prove that. So um, I, I started doing a little bit more research. And first place I went, of course, was Webster's 1828 Dictionary. I love going there. And the definition of civil, well, there's a lot of, of definitions for civil. And the one related here, what they call a civil is a, a list. The officers of civil government who are paid from the public treasury, also the revenue approved to support the civil government. So, okay, I'm looking at going, well, is the president an officer of, the, of civil government? Well, yeah, he is. But I, again, I didn't think that was quite detailed enough. So I started digging a little deeper. I went to uh, the Free Legal Dictionary. It refers to a civil officer. says says the the Constitution of the United States, Article Two, Section Four, provides that the President, Vice President, and civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office via impeachment. And that's what got my attention. So hang on a second, Paul. Let me let me look at this a little closer. Article Two, Section Four lists the President the vice president, and all civil officers. And this is where words get to be really important, right? Because it's like, it doesn't say, and all other civil officers. It just says, and all civil officers. As it was making a distinction between the president, vice president, and the civil officers of the United States. So again, I kept digging, again, still at the, in the Free Legal Dictionary. Um, talking about civil officer, it says, by this term are included all officers of the United States who hold their appointments under the national government, whether their duties are executive or judicial in the highest or the lowest departments of the government, with the exception of officers of the Army and Navy. So I'm looking at this going, hmm, does that mean that the president vice and vice president are not officers because they're not appointed, they're elected. But wait a second, senators and representatives are elected. In fact, while the, the president is elected by the states, um, the, uh, the president and vice president are elected by the states, the senators and the representatives are elected by the people. In other words, I, I challenged, uh, I was talking about... Uh, 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 an amicus brief by by Edwin Meese, and I challenged the statement that the president doesn't fall under this because he's a civil officer. And I have to say, I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm I'm not saying I was wrong, but I'm not saying I was I was as right as I thought I was, simply because I think there's enough ambiguity in this. To say an argument could be made that the president and vice president are not civil officers because of the impeachment clause and the way they are listed separately from uh, uh, separately from the 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 civil officers of the United States, and going back to the 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 um, the Fourteenth Amendment and the um, the insurrection clause again it lists. Uh, senators, representatives, electors of president and vice president, but it doesn't actually list the president and vice president 
unless they are considered civil officers. And um, there's someone who holds, and again, even that's a little tricky because it says any uh, any office, civil or military. So is it a civil office or is it a military office? And is there some third definition of the office that's neither civil or military? I know it's a little twisted. It's a little convoluted. But I want to be fair to the person that challenged the, the challenged the statement about um, the president being holding a civil office. Um, all right, this maybe not as cut and dried as I first thought it was. And I want to be fair about that. Now, then again, we have Maine has now joined the fray because Maine has now decided to uh, keep Trump off the primary ballot. And again, we're talking a primary ballot. Uh, part of me is kind of, it's a whole miffed on the whole primary system, right? Because again, these are publicly funded elections for private organizations. And it's used to keep people, to, to limit the choices people have in the actual election. So on the one hand, you have the, um, in this case, the Secretary of State of Maine. This wasn't go through a court. This is simply the Secretary of State stating that, that um, the people of Maine, the, the members of the Republican Party in Maine, will not have the opportunity to choose uh, President Trump. It, it, it is truly is a restriction on the rights of the people and, and who they will give, be given uh, an easy chance to, to shoot for uh, or to vote for. Um, which, again, they talk about you know, American democracy. This is, this is anti-democratic. This is saying that, uh, you know, because again, you have a single individual, right? Uh, Shana Bellows, who is the Secretary of State of the state of Maine, who simply decided that in her idea that, that, that Mr. Trump's position, uh, primary petition is invalid uh, because of, um, uh, how, how, let's see, well, in her, in, in, in her um, opinion, she wrote, Specifically, I find that the declaration on his candidate content form is false because he is not qualified to hold the office of president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Again, complete violation of due process. Mr. Trump has never been charged with insurrection, much less convicted of insurrection. So how could she say that he's disqualified when there's no evidence of actual disqualification? There's no... uh, 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 there's been no evidence provided that he actually participated in an insurrection, right? In Colorado, we had four out of seven judges. In Maine, you have a single individual deciding who you can choose as your party's champion when it comes to the upcoming presidential election. Now, I do not know the process of choosing um, Supreme Court justices in the state of Colorado, but I'm pretty sure Maine Secretary of State is, I don't know, is she elected? Is she appointed? If she's appointed, she's appointed by somebody who's elected. Um, ladies and gentlemen of Maine, what say you about this? Can someone be disqualified from office with no legal purpose, no legal foundation for said disqualification? Can 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 a a bureaucrat, a the in this case the secretary simply decide? You know what, this what this person did was insurrection. Therefore, they're not qualified. 
What happens when it's not the President of the United States? What happens when the Secretary of State says, you know what? No, you, you can't run for governor because you did something that violated uh, one of our laws and, and you're not qualified. Therefore, you can't be on the on the primary ballot. And again, where do the states get the authority to tell the the GOP of their state who they can and cannot put on their ballot for uh, consideration as their party's champion? We've merged this political, and, and to me, this is one of the most insidious problems in our election system is that we've allowed the the political parties to take control of the system to determine the, to tell the states or influence the state laws to determine who will and will not be on the ballot and this uh this insidious um commingling right because you got the political parties control the elections that choose the office holders that determine the laws that continue to empower the political parties. It is an incestuous loop that has brought us to this case and has taken Washington's warning about the spirit of revenge natural to party politics being its own frightful despotism has brought us to this point, to this this brink of, of something between, uh, I mean, it's not truly anarchy. Well, it is kind of because we're just going to ignore the laws to get our way. Again, we have multiple entities and multiple states saying we want to ignore the law. We want to ignore the Constitution because we think this person is so dangerous that they cannot be allowed to even try to become uh, to hold a, a, a specific office. How is that a representative republic? If the people are we're saying, you're not even allowed to consider this person because we've determined, again, without going through a, a due process, a legal process designed to protect the rights, without any of that, they've decided, nope, you're not to be allowed to vote for this person. And I wonder, what are the people of the states going to stand up and say, uh, who died and made you boss? No, you have no legal authority to do that. And if you're going to act in such an unconstitutional manner, if you're going to violate your oath so severely, maybe it's time the people decide, how do we get rid of them? Do we impeach them? Do we refuse to vote for them? What do we do? Because as much as people are whining and complaining about this, the answer, the, the solution resides in the hands, the ultimate solution, in the hands of the people of Colorado and the people of Maine and the people of any other state that thinks they get to determine who you get to vote for without following due process. Now, I know this is being appealed, or at least the Colorado uh, question is being appealed to the Supreme Court. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if, if this gets tagged on as well or related to it, the, the main situation. What I would like to see, though, is I wouldn't be surprised. It would be nice, all right, President, uh, or former President Trump, um, we're going to sue the state of Colorado and the state of Maine. Uh, and in fact, under uh, 42-1983, a deprivation of rights under color of law. You're basically saying you have the law to, con to convict me of insurrection and hold me guilty of insurrection without even ever having charged me of insurrection. Oh, by the way, how about you file a criminal complaint against the justices of the Supreme Court and against the Secretary of State of Maine under 
18 USC 19 er, um, 242 saying, oh, you're you're willfully depriving me of my rights without due process of law. Would be interesting. Don't know if it'll happen, but it would be interesting. Now, I have to take a break. Before I go, though, um, you know, I don't know about you. I had a great time during the holidays. I got to de-stress, but, you know, sometimes I get back to work and, and it, it's kind of hard to focus. You get to the end of the day and you need that little extra oomph. And well, maybe you, drink, you reach for a cup of coffee or one of those energy drinks. Often you're dealing with a lot of sugar and caffeine and it doesn't do great things to your body. Well, I found something that works really, really well. It helps me boost my short-term focus and my long-term brain power using healthy cells, focus and recall, vitamins. That's right, just vitamins. No sugar rush, no caffeine buzz, just good old vitamins, and they work. You can find out more by going to americaoutloud.shop. Find out not just about focus and recall, find all the great products that, that Healthy Cell has. And as an America Out Loud listener, guess what? You can get 25% off your first order at Healthy Cell, and you can find all the details right there at americaoutloud.shop. Basically, use the code OUTLOUD when you check out. It lets them know that you listen to America Out Loud, and as a thank you, they give you 25% off your first order. So please, give it a try, and support Healthy Cell, and while you're doing it, support your own health. To borrow a quote I heard uh, from The Princess Bride, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Lean. Pure with premium ingredients. Global Healing's Pure Plant Protein offers 20 grams of protein per scoop, and it's a perfect way to maintain and build lean muscle while indulging yourself. It combines enzymes and probiotics to maximize nutrient absorption, improving digestion, and your gut health. Available in vanilla and chocolate flavors, elevate your protein consumption while supporting your overall wellness with pure plant protein. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, 
giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You rejoin the Constitution study, and today we're talking about state powers. The first segment we focused on the the states dealing, you know, trying to keep Trump off the ballot. We talked about that and had a little bit of a review. I want to kick on to uh, what's been going on down in Texas. Now, way back at the beginning of December, the Fifth Circuit of Court of Appeals um, basically ordered the state of Texas to remove a floating barrier. They call it a floating razor wire barrier, but that was the first time I heard it referred to as a razor wire. But the idea is Texas installed this floating barrier in the Rio Grande River to um, prevent migrants from simply swimming across the river into the, and entering the U.S. illegally. Now, there was a district court that sided with the... This, this pissed off the feds. Um, the, uh, the, the, the Biden administration uh, basically, I don't know, sued. They, 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 they sued Texas saying, you can't do that. Um, the district court, now the circuit court, have both said, uh, yeah, no, Texas, you have to remove that barrier. Actually, the district court originally said you had to move the barrier, and there's been a lot of hubbub about it. But I want to take a look at the uh, at what I found. I haven't seen the entire opinion that came out of the Fifth Circuit. But what's interesting is, from what I've read so far, um, they, they quote the Rivers and Harbors Act which states the creation of any obstruction not affirmatively authorized by Congress to the navigable capacity of any of the waters of the United States is prohibited. Okay, there's a problem number one with that. See, in order for that law to be the supreme law of the land, it must be made pursuant to the Constitution. If you go back to the Constitution, does it say anywhere that the federal government has the authority to basically regulate water simply because they can be navigated. Uh, no, doesn't. So the Rivers and, and Harbors Act has a, a serious issue because while they're not talking about regulating commerce, they're talking about regulating navigation. It's not a power delegated to the United States. It also, by the way, ignores the fact that immigration is not a power delegated to the United States by the Constitution. Congress can set uniform rules for naturalization. But that's not the same as immigration. So you have a, a court, and again, not surprising because they pay very little attention to the Constitution. You can tell by looking, you say, well, they quoted the Rivers and Harbors Act. Never questioning, well, wait a second, is that, a, 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 is that authority delegated to the United States in the first place? Because if it's not delegated to the United States, it's a violation of the 10th Amendment. That means not only is it not the supreme law of the land, that law is void. Now, I quote this all the time. You hear from Alexander Hamilton in Federal 78. You hear from Marbury versus Madison, uh, Ex parte Siebold, Dorton v. Shelby County. All of these are scenarios where a law, uh, uh, an act contrary to the Constitution is void. It doesn't exist. It's as if it never happened, but we never bother. We never question that. Now, Governor Abbott has said, yes, we're going to appeal this to the Supreme Court. But ultimately, here's the question. Even if the Supreme Court says, no, that's not law. Ladies and gentlemen, that's an opinion. 
the fifth the, the fifth circuit here did not issue a law they issued an opinion and their quote unquote order if their order is unconstitutional if it violates the, the the law then it's just as void as the uh this part of the harbors and and uh, rivers act you see why it's important for states to understand the constitution so they can push back on what's going on here now what's interesting is most of what i've heard so far and read so far texas is saying the federal government isn't doing their job therefore we have to i turn around the other way saying we have a responsibility to defend our own borders yes we can call for the federal government to help us repel invasion but it's still our responsibility to defend our own borders and it's about time the states start doing this so yeah it's going to be interesting because again i hear so many people talking about the states had you know texas had to do this because the federal government refused to i want some to start realizing hey, wait a second how about the fact that the state has a a duty to its own citizens to defend them against illegal immigration to defend them against people simply walking across their border from another country. See, we're not talking about crossing an internal border. We're talking about crossing a border from another country, not another not another United one of the United States. So, yeah, e even though I'm glad Texas is doing this, I kind of wish they would um they they were a little more constitutional basis for what they were doing. By the way, while we're at it, Texas recently passed a law that uh, basically gives their state police the power to arrest immigrants that are here illegally. They can arrest or jail uh, people that have entered this country illegally, and they are found in Texas. And apparently, they've arrested nearly 10,000. They call them migrants. I, I, I don't like the term migrants because... There's a there's a legal term of migrant. A migrant is somebody who enters the country um, for the purpose of staying here. Right? They're moving from one place to another. Uh, many of these many of the people they call migrants aren't actually migrants. They are here to do something and then go home. Uh, I think alien is a better term for it because they're not they're foreigners to this country. But so they've they've arrested nearly ten thousand illegal aliens, and of course this is being challenged as well. Now here's one of the interesting twists, as I understand it, because they 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 kind of tested this out on a small scale, and now they're Texas is looking to expand it starting in March. The way it works is it it, it allows uh, landowners to enter into an agreement with state officials, authorizing them to arrest trespassers on their property in other words as i understand it allows law enforcement to enter their property for the purpose of arresting trespassers people who are there on the property without authorization once they're in custody then they can be turned over to ice or whatever as a or, or simply you know jailed as uh, being in the country illegally uh, but that trespass is very interesting because this means this gives the state police the legal authority to enter, as I understand it, to enter private property to uh, help enforce this law. Now, the groups that are, again, th this is being challenged, is being challenged in court. There's a lawsuit filed in, in, in federal court in Austin, Texas. 
claiming that this law infringes on the authority of the federal government under the U.S. Constitution to enforce the nation's immigration laws. Again, look at the Constitution. Immigration is not a power delegated to the United States. They have no power to establish immigration laws. Let me say that again. The federal government has no legitimate power to establish immigration laws because it's not a power delegated to them under the United States. Therefore, they don't have that power. Therefore, the Necessary and Proper Clause, Section one, uh, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 18, is of null effect because it's to put into effect laws to enforce the power, to enact the powers of the United States. Again, having the states and the people understand the Constitution is critical to keeping the federal government in check, but it's also critical to keeping uh, the protections of our rights. Because let's face it, we the, the Congress has passed laws, and the executive branch, depending on who's running it at the time, decides maybe we'll enforce them, maybe not, here or there. If we are a republic, we the people enact laws through our representatives. If the people charged with enforcing those laws are not going to do that, there's problem number one. But the very idea that they're creating laws they're not authorized to, that needs to be stopped, and that is best stopped at the state level. They have uh, more, more push uh, when, against the federal government if they've only grow the backbone to actually use it. And speaking of backbone, let's head to New Hampshire, the live free or die state. I, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with New Hampshire. That's, that's not my point. But uh, Representative uh, Michael Granger and five co-sponsors recently introduced House Bill 1294. They did this back uh, on, on December 6th. And it reads, in part, because the authority of the United States Environmental Protection Agency is not authorized by any article or amendment of the Constitution of the United States, all regulations imposed by the United States Environmental Protection Agency are void in New Hampshire. The state and its political subdivisions, including but not limited to counties, cities, towns, precincts, water districts, school districts, school, school administrative units, or quasi-public entities, shall not engage in the enforcement of or any collaboration with the Environmental Protection Agency. Yay! Yay! Somebody in New Hampshire seems to have grown a spine. The question is, will the rest of the, of the legislature of New Hampshire show equal fortitude. But I'm sure somebody out there is saying, but Paul, if they don't listen to the EPA, who's going to protect our environment? Well, they, 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 that obviously becomes a state function. And the, the bill notes that. It says the state, being conscious of the need for environmental protection for its, its citizens, shall provide environmental protection through the Department of Environmental Services established by this chapter. In other words, yeah, feds, go away. It's not authorized. It's our responsibility. We will do what is right for us. The state of New Hampshire, at least, at least six representatives say, listen, hey, it's our responsibility. We never delegate it to you, federal government. It's ours, and we will do it, and we'll establish a process for doing it that meets our needs and our requirements, not what some bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. thinks. And there's more. Look at Iowa. The Iowa Department of Health and Human Services um, and, and the State Department of Education announced, with a bit of fanfare from the governor, 
that they will not participate in the 2024 summer benefits transfers for children. Uh, basically, this is a bribe from the federal government to uh, give $40 per month to children in low-income families that the federal government's not authorized to spend. Now, again, this is one of those, well, you know, it, it, it's a, um, it, it, it was designed to help you know, low-income children so they would have, the parents would, have, would help with the food costs while they're not getting the school, the, the, the free lunch program in school. Again, none of that is authorized by the Constitution. None of that is authorized for the federal government to do. Um, and uh, according to Governor Reynolds, um, you know, I guess they decided that uh, they're, they're doing this in lieu of simply enhancing and expanding already existing nutritional programs. In other words, we're willing to accept the bribe from these other programs. We're just not so thrilled with this one. See, apparently this one came about through uh, all the COVID nonsense. And she said, listen, we've got, we have these well-established bribes, I mean programs. And uh, rather than, than continuing this, what was supposed to be a temporary program to deal with the, the, the COVID uh, lockdowns, illegal lockdowns, uh, no, we're not going to do that. We want to go back to the way things used to be. We want We want our bribes the way they used to be. So it's a little bit of good news, just not as good as we would hope. Meanwhile, out in, in Oklahoma, guess what? This latest state that uh, they they're looking at a bill that would make uh, gold and silver money within the state. Treat it like money. Now, to understand this, you have to to, to understand the difference between a money and an investment. So, for example, um, you know, today, if uh, uh, let's say we'll use a big example, let's say you go to buy a car. So you go to the car dealership and you negotiate a deal and say, listen, I don't want to pay you in cash. I don't want to give you, you know, U.S. dollars. What I'll do is here is a stock, uh, a stock portfolio worth roughly the price of the vehicle. Will you accept that? And the problem you run into is, well, then there's a there's capital gains taxes, right, because you had an investment. If it grew larger, you owe capital gains taxes on it, and uh, you'd have to pay those taxes and, and all that. Better idea. If it's, if it's gold, and gold is today considered an investment, then if you bought the gold at, say, $150 an ounce, and you sell it at $250 an ounce to buy the car, again, you're paying a, 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 a basically an inflation tax. Right, it's a capital gains tax on, on gold. You're basically paying an inflation tax, uh, an additional inflation tax, by treating it as money. You wouldn't pay a capital gains ca tax. It it doesn't work that way. But the main reason I know a lot of places are doing, it, at least that from what I've read, is that it gets the stranglehold of the Federal Reserve off our money. And uh, uh, to me, that's that's a very important uh, thing. Because well, let's face it, the federal government has done a pretty bad job in um, in handling our money. Remember when I said that uh, the what they call a capital gains tax on gold is an inflation tax. See, gold doesn't change its value. The dollar is worth less, so it takes more dollars to pay for the same amount of gold, and that's basically what they're paying taxes on. Now, I have another break coming up. Before I go, though, you know, one of the most important things I talk about is we need to focus locally. We spend so much time being distracted by what's going on 
in the dysfunctional District of Columbia, we let tyranny go loose right under our arms, right under our noses. And, you know, we talk about state powers. Really, let's go down a level and talk about sheriffs. I bring this up for very good reason. I have an interview in the next segment. I'll be interviewing Doug Trouble, uh, Trouble, I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, and um, he uh, has been, uh, well, he's got a, a, quite a history. Uh, 32-year veteran peace officer. He's run, he's been a, a sheriff's deputy. He's run for sheriff. And uh, I got introduced to him by a third party. And I thought it'd be pretty interesting to have him on the radio and kind of talk to him about his role. In, in He's in Idaho now, uh, the role of the sheriff and what we can do to uh, I don't know, to protect our rights by being involved with our county sheriff. Now, I also want to remind you to please make AmericaOutloud.news a daily stop for news and information. Find the, the articles, the videos, the podcasts, the stories, things that you find important and share them. By sharing this news, by sharing this information, we also share the blessings of liberty. of independent media, we are now AmericaOutloud.news. For the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. The genius of the United States is we the people. AmericaOutloud.news. Liberty and justice for all. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It worked. Go to AmericaOutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back, everyday Americans. You've joined the Constitution Study. As promised, I have with me on the show Doug Trouble. He is running once again for sheriff in the great state of Idaho. And we got linked together through a common acquaintance. And uh, I suggested we actually meet online and uh, we record it for you. So, Doug, thanks for joining us here at the Constitution Study. Thank you for having me. Can you tell my audience just a little bit about yourself? 
I retired now. I served 32 years in law enforcement. My career started in Chula Vista, California, seven miles from the Mexico border. And I got uh, fed up with uh, things down there, uh, you know, politics getting in the way of effective policing and, and that sort of a, a encroachment of Marxism, frankly. And so I looked for a fresh start and found myself in Idaho in 1994. I worked for the sheriff's office for nine years and I transferred to the prosecutor's office as an investigator and finished my career up there. This will be my technically, technically third run at sheriff. I was uh, almost appointed sheriff when the, the sheriff stepped down early. I got the most votes from the central committee and then uh, politics happened and <laughs> I didn't get appointed. So I challenged him in the primary and lost and now I'm going to charge challenge him again in 24. And uh, what I bring to the table different is that I have a constitutional lens. My oath matters. Yeah, boy, I wish more did. Uh, you know, I, I tell the story of my audience. Most of them know it. Uh, I moved from the Empire. I lived in upstate New York most of my life. Uh, actually, I was born in the city, moved there, uh, got fed up with the Empire, ended up in Middle Tennessee, uh, outside of Nashville. And I did something weird, uh, which I do quite frequently. I reached out to my sheriff and said, hey, I want to have a meeting with you. He goes, okay, what's for? I, I just want to meet you. I want to know who you are outside of a campaign event or something like that. So uh, went to his office and we sat, we had a wonderful conversation. At one point I said, listen, this is really what I want. I said, I want to know anybody at my house picks up the phone and dials 911, whatever deputy shows up, they've been trained. Their first and primary responsibility is to protect the rights of everyone there. He said, absolutely. I said, we talked about it. I said, good. My next response was, what can I do to help? But granted, I have a unique position, right? I'm a constitutional scholar. I can uh, I could write a position paper. I could also show up at a press conference or or be with him at a at, so, at a committee hearing. I have that position, but I tell my audience, what can you do if you find if you ask that question of your sheriff, will they protect your rights or will they simply do whatever the feds or the states tell them to do? And if they will protect your rights, what do we do to back them up? Now, as someone well, who's worked in law enforcement, you know, what's your view of that? And, and what would you like to see uh, should you win the, the office of sheriff? Well, excellent question. And COVID really answered the question for citizens. They, they should have measured the sheriff in their county by their actions and inactions during COVID. When churches were shut down, just for example, in Idaho, when churches were shut down, that's a, a violation of both the state and U.S. Constitution. Uh, when 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 in-person in um, trials were uh, shut down, that's a violation of the state Constitution, Article One, Section Eighteen. In fact, in, in West County, there were people arrested on the steps of the courthouse for failure to appear because they would not wear a mask. A judge's edict to wear a mask cannot supersede the Constitution state of Idaho or the U.S. Constitution. And frankly, sheriffs should more frequently be standing on their state constitutions than the U.S. Constitution, because oftentimes state constitutions give more protection than the U.S. Constitution to Bill of Rights. But the Bill of Rights as a whole are the untouchables. And if your sheriff doesn't understand that they are the untouchables, and then a mayor's edict or an administrative judge's edict to wear a mask cannot supersede the oath. The oath is not to a person, it's to two constitutions, state and United States. And so Failure to put your oath in action renders the Constitution toothless and government unrestrained. Exactly. And again, sure, it's local. The people have the most influence 
over the local offices. It's where, you know, tr trust me, I'm not getting a meeting with with uh, a Garland, right? He's, he's not going to take my call. But I can pick up the phone and talk to the sheriff. I can, um, when when uh, Biden threatened to send around door knockers, remember to, to check your was a vaccine status or whatever, I called him up. He says, give us a call. We'll trespass him and take him right off your property. Good, That's good. what I want. And again, I'm willing to back him up. I've, I've offered to teach constitution classes to his deputies. Granted, I'm in a little bit of a unique position, but it's the understanding of your rights. The, the, the constitution study is based on a quote from John Jay, our first chief justice, that every member of the state ought diligently to read and study the constitution of his country teach the rising generation be free. By knowing their rights, they'll sooner perceive when they're violated and be the better prepared to defend and assert them. I love it. That's exactly right. And, and I'll tell you something, sort of a, maybe sort of a virtual confession from most officers. I, I can tell you that most officers have never read either the state constitution or the U.S. constitution. You have to take an oath mm -hmm. when they're hired. And, and that's why I believe that when this happened, this 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 event that I described to you at the courthouse steps here, where people were being arrested for failure to appear, that's why that happened. If they understood what their oath was and what it looks like in action, then that wouldn't have happened. And I love what you did with your sheriff there, and I'm glad that he answered the way he did because that these are simple questions and simple black and white uh, you know scenarios that you can. You can you can you can ask your sheriff, and he should have a, a clear and immediate answer. Like in Idaho, for example, Cer certainly I, I I support the Second Amendment, but in, in the state constitution of Idaho, Article One, Section Eleven says there shall be no gun confiscations or registration. So so actually, it's even stronger than the Second Amendment of the Bill of Rights. And so, if the ATF hypothetically, if I was asked, if I was a sitting sheriff, and I was asked by you say you're one of my constituents, you're 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 a citizen of the county a resident of the county, and you ask me, Sheriff, uh, if ATF comes around and powers up with Boise PD and has a list of addresses they're going to knock on to take uh, guns, what are you going to do? Well, the city limits doesn't apply to me. The city is in the county, and my oath is to two constitutions. I will interpose. I will physically stand between the officer and you and your house. And if I need to call out inhabitants of the county, statute lets me call as many inhabitants of the county as I need to fulfill my duties. And so um, not only will I use my, my, my standing deputies, if there are not enough of them, we'll call up and I want to actually develop a posse program. I won't go a rabbit hole with you on that, but I want to have a posse integral in the daily operations of my sheriff's office, a ready reserve force that will defend, help me defend your rights. So not only do I want to crush crime, right? I want to stand in, 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 in between overreach and the citizen. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, again, that's what we should be asking the sheriff. That's what a good sheriff does but i love the fact that like you said the people who are willing to stand with the sheriff too often we say you go that's what we pay you for no i want to be part of that i want to be the name you call uh i, I want to be on that list that says um hey i can get advice from him or if i need some bodies i need some help because it it's the we've gotten to this habit of somebody else will do it for me and I think we need, that's one of the habits we need to break. You know, it, it, it's funny. I, I, last year I was served a federal subpoena. There's a long, whole long story there. But uh, one of the things, this will make sense in a second. So I contact the U.S. Attorney's Office to issue the subpoena. 
and we get all the details on what that, and it was in Phoenix, Arizona. So, you know, flying and all that. I said, well, fine. I said, understand this. I will not take the jab. I will not take the test. I will only wear the ma a mask under duress, and I will not be silent about it. I never asked one. I didn't ask one question. These are my statements. This is my, I am a citizen of the United States and of the state of Tennessee. You want me there. I understand that there's a, if the defense has a right to compel witnesses, the prosecution should have such a right as well. Therefore, I will comply with the subpoena, but I'm not giving up my rights to do so. So when you say someone said, my line in the sand was, I would wear the mask. I just, I have a mask that says, um, mandate your tyranny, and it's on an upside down American flag. All right. So, I mean, that was my limit. So their limit was, no, we're not wearing a mask. But you're, it's interesting to see you have a judge creating a catch 22. If either you ignore your rights and follow me, or you go to jail, well, I'm sorry, you're right. The judge has no legal authority to do that. That act, that's an unconstitutional act, it is therefore void. Um, I've been quoting a lot. Alexander Hamilton in Federal 70, uh, you can tell how often I quote it by how easily I, I cite it. <laughs> Alexander Hamilton in Federal 78, um, uh, Ex parte Siebold, um, Marbury versus Madison, Norton v. Shelby County, all of them state that an unconstitutional act is void. void. Oh, yeah, he's showing me, he's, we got a big camera going, show me the Federalist Papers. Uh, well, that, that's part of how I got started here. Is I read the Constitution, I read the Federalist Papers, the Anti-Federalist Papers. Oh, you're, you're a radical. You, do you want do you want the gun and the Bible too? Oh, absolutely. Actually, oh my! Several, God. several of each. You're on a list. <laughs> um, exactly. You know, but again, it's it's the to me, it's comforting to have a sheriff that recognizes our rights, and that's that's their duty. And I want that's to right. support and, and, that. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and scenario, again, if I were the sheriff in that same situation, let's say COVID 2.0 comes around and there's some hints in the media that it's going to, and the same situation happens. As sheriff, my deputies would be instructed in the Constitution and, 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 be, and tell, tell, I'll tell them, take that citizen, arm in arm, deliver them to the courtroom. Now, if the judge doesn't want to hold court, that's on the judge. But my deputies will understand that their oath is not to that judge. Mm -hmm. The oath is to the Constitution. The, it is free and open access to the courts without prejudice. To require a mask is, is being prejudiced against someone's medical choice. You know, uh, and <laughs> the, the part of freedom is the freedom to breathe. And, uh, and life, liberty, and <laughs> some happiness. Well, life requires air, oxygen. Well, it's interesting because the judge... I would state the judge not only violated the federal constitution, I'm not familiar with the Idaho constitution, so I'll set the federal constitution, but the judge actually broke, actually committed a federal crime. All right, so the 14th Amendment says that, you, that no state can pass a law that deprives someone of their life, liberty, or property without due process of law, a process designed to protect the rights of the individual. He said, no, you don't have due process. I don't have to prove you're a danger. I just have to sit, make a blanket statement. That deprived them of their liberty, attempted to deprive them of the property they have in their body without due process of law. A deprivation of rights under color of law is a federal crime under 18 U.S.C. 242. You know, and and what, I, what I find interesting is how many people's eyes open when, when I start talking like this. Yeah, that's a federal crime. And once we begin to understand, you know, the Constitution's 8,000 words. It's not that hard to read and understand, but once you understand the power behind it, 
the yeah. the fact that it gives it gives legal uh, uh, legal assent to the to the, to our rights as human beings, yeah. yep. then it, that becomes very powerful. Like Scalia said, maybe I'm paraphrasing, but it, it says what it says and it means what it means. Yet, yet when you talk like you are, and, and, and when I speak like I do, I think to most people it sounds like a foreign language. When you cite the Constitution. Their eyes just glaze over most people because public education is never going to give you the information you need to restore the republic. You know, so so we have ignorant people, and that's not an insult. That just means lack of knowledge. We mm -hmm. we are we are being created that way. And so it sounds like some radical talk when someone's running for sheriff, calling himself a constitutional sheriff. They think, oh, he's a constitutionalist. Like that's a bad thing because you know CNN and 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 all these uh, news agencies they. They stain that adjective, you know, and so um, the reality is that that we have a, a population that needs an education on the things. And thank God you're out there, you know, teaching these things. And I appreciate your support on for candidates like me that that that, that are running for the office of sheriff, understanding how unique the office is and how important it is to defend the rights of the people. And it is we are in transformational times. My view. The the Marxists are sewing up this this Maoist cultural revolution that we're living through, and if we don't have people installed that have the courage and knowledge uh, to stand up to this on constitutional grounds, you know, I'm not just inventing these <laughs> these uh, arguments. I mean, they're, they're they're you know they're right here in, in, in the Constitution, U.S. Constitution, state Constitution, um, and so they're going to keep capitalizing on ignorance unless we have people installed that have a level of knowledge and courage to interpose. Yeah, you know, it's how will they know unless someone is sent, and that's kind of what I, what's what I try to do. Uh, you know, again, so twenty twenty four again. I believe it's a pivotal year. I know the catchphrase; it's the most important election ever. Um, but it it is pivotal because the damage to the constitutional to the constitution to the rights that it protects has been substantial over the last seven eight years, and. You can only go down that road so far. Because the farther we go, the harder it is to get back. Um, as you're standing yeah. for sheriff, as you're standing, at least in your county. I mean, you can't fix the, the United States, but you can help fix your county. That's the, and, and that's that's your start. Where can people find out more about you if they you know live in your county? Where can they find out more about your run and support the work that you're doing? Well, right now, just on Facebook, I'm getting a website up and running, actually resurrecting it from the last campaign, so it's not up yet. Uh, but uh, Doug Traubel on Facebook, T-R-A-U-B-E-L, or Doug for Ada County on Facebook. There's two Facebook pages, Doug for Ada County, it's ADA, Doug for Ada County, or Doug Traubel on Facebook. And that's probably sufficient for now. And then uh, through those Facebook pages, ultimately, they'll be directed to the website for more information. Wonderful. Do you have any last messages? I mean, granted, this is a national program. You're running for county sheriff. But, you know, what advice can you give to my my audience that's sitting there going, what do we do? Does this really make a difference to, to have a, a constitutionally sound sheriff? It does. And I, I think my answer to that is actually what you told me you did. They should be reaching out to their sheriffs, roughly 3,000 counties in the United States. And all of them have sheriffs. Some sheriff's offices are weak. Some are strong. But know who your sheriff is. Insist on a face-to-face -face or at least a phone call and ask them some very black and white scenarios so that you can measure their resolve and their understanding of their oath. 
If they're just a bureaucrat, even though they're elected, they act like a bureaucrat, they're going to enforce anything that's put in front of them. You don't have the right person in office. And, and then look in the mirror. Maybe it's you that fit the bill. Challenge these people. Get them replaced. If they're in there already, then back them up. You know, campaign for them. Praise them. You know, finance their campaigns. Offer to be a, a reserve deputy, a posse member if they have such a thing. And back them in you can. When there's bad optics, but it's still good police work, you know, back them. Keep them in there if they're good. If they're bad, challenge them. Get them out. But you need to know who's in there first by asking the kind of questions that you asked your sheriff. And I'm glad you did that. I thank you. I I agree. I think it's something we ought to do, and we have to put oath of the fidelity to the oath of office above donkeys and elephants and everything else. So, Doug, it's been great having you on here and discussing it. Hopefully, we'll have you back. Maybe one day we'll thank have you. you back as the actual sheriff of Ada County. But uh, thank oh, you very much for joining us here. Thank you, sir. So there you go. The best place to protect state power starts with your county sheriff. So. Please engage with your sheriff. While you're at it, remind him, you know, he too could listen. He or she can listen to the Constitution study. We're on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeart Radio Network every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also catch the podcast on your favorite podcast player. But please subscribe to the show and leave us some ratings on Apple, especially on Apple. It helps other people find the Constitution study as well. Find all your links you need at the homepage at AmericaOutloud.news. Please share them. Please enjoy them and please share the blessings of liberty.